You're a 415 You're all about your San Francisco 49ers. And this is where you need to be for news, analysis, and, and, and more. And more. Welcome to the 415 hosted by Evan Gidding and Mark Grandy. What is going on, everyone? The 415ers are back as usual Monday, Wednesday, and Friday in the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network. Evan Giddings, Mark Grandy. Mark, what's up, my man? How you doing? I'm doing well, Evan. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Sun's a shining here in sunny San Francisco in the 415, and we hope that it can shine on L.A. this weekend because the 49ers are headed to SoFi Stadium to take on the Los Angeles Rams in Week 8. We have your preview episode, as always. But where I want to start, Mark, and... Now, throughout the week, we're kind of taking notes on how players are reacting to right now tough times with the 49ers being three and four heading into their um, the last week before the bye. And something that was sort of swirling around yesterday specifically and picked up was some of Jimmy Ward's comments. Now, this is a captain and one of the longest tenured, if not the longest tenured member of the San Francisco 49ers right now because he was asked to move to the nickelback position. And... I, I thought that he was kind of a company man and how he responded to it, you know, basically saying, look, I'm going to do what's best for the team. Mm. But he did slip in the fact that it was a contract year for him and that Nickelback isn't necessarily his position, but that he's doing this because he needs to. He's not sure if it's going to be permanent, but I'm curious what your takeaway from his comments were, Mark, considering it, it, it looked to me like a guy who was saying what he had to, but felt something very different. Well, yeah, he was asked yesterday in the locker room about it, and he said, uh, I don't know. I'm just going to do what the coach is telling me to do. It's my last year on the contract. I'm just trying to be a great team player. Um, and then, you know, there was a follow-up, and, and a reporter asked Ward if it had been a long time since he'd played in the slot position or the nickel corner spot. And he said, it's been a while since I've been on the field at all, kind of kind of joking but obviously that's the truth i mean he's been held or he has not been healthy this year um but he then went on to say i don't know man it's been a challenge man like i said it's a challenge maybe if i was at safety i don't know it probably would have been a challenge there too so there's clearly you know maybe a, a little bit of unhappiness there from jimmy ward and honestly you can probably understand why i mean this was a guy that was voted as a top 100 player by his peers in the nfl as a safety Jaquaski Tart, his you know former safety mate over the last number of years, has gone to Twitter and, and and kind of defended Jimmy Ward, the safety, not Jimmy Ward, the nickel corner. Um, and you know it could really just be a one week thing. I mean, the Niners did it last week against the Kansas City Chiefs, and that was essentially to match up Jimmy Ward on Travis Kelsey for the most part. And Kelsey, you know, he was you know pretty good still, ninety eight receiving yards, but it's not like he was a game wrecker for the Chiefs against the 49ers. So you could argue that Jimmy Ward did a pretty decent job there. However, what becomes interesting is the Niners now have the Rams this week. And who's going to play on the slot offensively for the Rams? That's Cooper Cup. So it's, it's a question of who do you want to match up on Cooper Cup for the most part. And I think what this move means, at least if the 49ers continue it, they continue to use Jimmy Ward as their nickel corner uh, it means that they're at least content with how Tashawn Gibson is playing at free safety, which would be where Jimmy Ward is playing if he does play safety. And I think it also means that the Niners 
are not happy with replacement level corners at that nickel spot. That's Diamador Lenore, that's Samuel Womack, and that's Ambry Thomas. So I think we kind of have a combination of things going on here. Gibson probably playing better than the Niners previously thought was going to happen. And then not too much development from their young corners. Again, in Lenore, Womack, and Thomas. All that together means that Jimmy Ward in the slot corner spot, the nickel corner spot, might be the best defensively for the 49ers, despite the fact that he is clearly a better safety than he is a slot corner. No, that's true. And and it's sort of that that trickle down, that domino effect that is forcing, as you mentioned, Jimmy Ward to play that spot. Uh, to me, it kind of de- comes down to the fact that Ambry Thomas just has not really been up to the standard that the 49ers need right now on the outside, because if so, that would force uh, Lenore back at the nickel spot instead. You know, it's going to be Jimmy Ward. They feel like he's the best guy on Cooper Cup. Also, the fact that Tashawn Gibson has been pretty good at the free safety position throughout this season means that they can use Ward all around the field. One thing that I think is interesting is is this is not the first time that this has happened for the 49ers. I don't know if you remember this, but I believe it was Eric Reed in 2017 was forced from safety to play linebacker in a contract year and was a little disgruntled about that. I don't know if it's a coincidence that it was maybe hit the end of his time or the fact that it turned out to be his last year in San Francisco. He played three more years in Carolina, was a pretty effective, strong safety with uh, the Panthers. But, you know, this is and, and Ward, of course, has been the longest tenured, tenured member of this team. He may also have some recollection of that and what happened in the aftermath with Reed could be certainly worried about what his career is going to continue to be in or outside of San Francisco, as well as not necessarily being featured in his best position in a contract year. So I could certainly see where Jimmy Ward is not only worried about, of course, having to guard Cooper Cup on Sunday, a guy that is probably the best receiver, maybe certainly best slot receiver, maybe best receiver in football, but also worried about how that's going to basically affect his pockets in the future because if someone sees him as primarily a nickelback instead of a free safety and that's where the majority of the tape is this year and it's coming against guys like Cooper Cup and other top-notch receivers and he's getting burnt because he's wearing a club or he's hurt or he's not able to put his best foot forward that's going to affect his future deal so I can see Jimmy Ward having seen what happened in 2017 as well as what maybe is happening now and feeling like man I'm kind of getting the short end of the stick here yeah, and I mean that's also something that um, that his former teammate uh, Jaquasi Tart mentioned on Twitter as well. We talked about how this is a contract year and how the 49ers are potentially costing Jimmy Ward some money. You play him maybe a little bit out of position; he doesn't perform quite as well. Maybe that affects how much he gets on the open market. I, I think it's too early to be talking about that, and it's certainly not you know the Niners' plan to do that. I think that. They just simply feel that given the construction of their defensive secondary at the moment, um, that's probably the best way to go about it. Maybe that changes uh, if Jason Verrett comes back. It seems pretty unlikely that that'll be this week. He was activated off the physically unable to perform list. That just opens the window for 21 days for him to be um, added to the 53-man roster. does not mean he has to play within that three-week span, just means Uh, The Niners, at some point in that three-week span, will have to add him to the 53-man roster. It has not happened yet. But one thing that is interesting 
um, is what D'Amico Ryans said on Thursday about Jimmy Ward and about their nickel corner spot overall. He was asked about Jimmy and kind of, um, you know, his abilities at nickel. And he said, well, that's what we did last week for that game. And, and we'll see how it goes essentially moving forward into this week and beyond. But D'Amico added, Jimmy is a unique player in that sense. And I think that Jimmy can do things that other players just can't. His versatility is very unique. He's probably one of the only guys in his in this league that can do safety, can come down in the box, can play nickel. He can do it all, blitzing, covering. Not too many guys can do that. So certainly very complimentary. Interestingly enough, though, there was a follow-up question asked about Charvarius Mooney Ward. Hey, D'Amico, does Mooney Ward have the ability to play in the slot in certain matchups? And D'Amico Ryan said, I think Mooney is another guy who can do whatever. He can play outside, play in the slot. I think he can do a little bit of both. So that kind of, you know, lit 49ers Twitter on fire because there are a lot of 49er fans who do not want to see Jimmy Ward in the slot. They want to see maybe their best matchup man-to-man corner in the slot against Cooper Cup. And maybe we'll see some Charvarius Mooney Ward in that role. What does that mean for Jimmy Ward? Does he slot over to safety? Does it push Deshaun Gibson out of the rotation for a game just because it is Cooper Cup? I'm not exactly sure, but I think it is something to keep an eye on. No, it is. That is interesting. And I get it. Look, if you're going up against Cooper Cup, you ideally want your best man on him. The thing that gives me pause and why I sort of do understand why Jimmy Ward will be playing in the slot is because the 49ers, I mean, D'Amico Ryan's mentioned on on Thursday that it is the Cooper Cup show. That's that yeah. that's who they're going to get the ball to. That's who they want to get the ball to. I also, I apologize for the fire trucks outside. It might be Cooper <laughs> Cup coming to town. I don't know. Um, but largely, he's killed the Niners no matter who's been on him. I mean, now the question is, are those empty calories? Are those shallow yards? Or are those yards that hurt you? Because we saw both this season as well as last season. And we'll dig deeper into the to the Rams game coming up in just a little bit. But I do think this point in the conversation we're having is is worth mentioning. Cooper Cup had 12 catches for you know 120 odd yards on, on Monday night earlier this year and largely was ineffective. Uh, last year in the championship game, however, he had about 12 catches for 140 yards with two touchdowns. Was very effective in the win that got the Rams to the Super Bowl. There is a difference in what Cooper Cup can do to you if you simply allow him to get six, seven, eight yards a catch as opposed to what he normally does, which is catching you know, intermediate to deep balls. He can beat you after the catch. Um, I understand where the 49ers feel like, hey, okay, maybe we're not going to put our best guy on Cooper Cup and have him travel with him the entire game because Cooper Cup's going to get his. The question is, can we shut down everyone else, which is what they did on Monday night earlier this year against the Rams? Oh, yeah, and the reality is um, kind of what you're talking about. One, it's not just as simple as, you know, one guy going up against Cooper Cup. It's, it's you know, a solid defense team-wide. But the reality is... N- if D'Amico Ryans is, you know, worth his salt as a defensive coordinator, he's not going to just throw a single guy on Cooper Cup and say good luck because you're you're going to you're going to get roasted. It's going to be a team effort to try to slow down Cooper Cup. You're going to have, you know, zone defenders shaded his way. You're going to throw double teams his way. Um, so it's not quite as simple as saying, "All right, Jimmy Ward, go do your thing in the slot against Cooper Cup." It's not, it's not as simple as saying, hey, Charvarius Mooney Ward, go do your thing. Try to slow him down because 
it doesn't matter who you are individually. Uh, Cooper Cup is so good, and he has a, a great connection with Matthew Stafford that uh, any one individual defender um, is not going to be able to do that job very well. Um, so maybe you know we're splitting hairs a little bit in terms of who's matched up against him in the corner because, again, the likelihood is we will see multiple, multiple players uh, against him. We'll probably see multiple players lined up against him in the corner throughout the game or in, in that nickel spot throughout the game, and then we'll see you know, some shaded help from Hufanga at safety, from Gibson at another safety spot, and then maybe from some of those other young corners that we mentioned off the top in, in Lenore, Womack, and Ambry Thomas. We'll probably see multiple bodies thrown his way because there's no way that any single person is going to be able to, to stop him by themselves. Yeah, it's going to be like trying to stop a top scorer in basketball. You're not just going to see one guy on him the entire game. For all those 49ers fans are also Warriors fans, you know, in their heyday, you're going to throw Clay Thompson at him. You're going to throw Andre Iguodala at him. You're going to throw different defenders at a top guy to try and slow him down, knowing that whoever it is is probably still going to get their 30 points. I do think that it is interesting that Jimmy Ward is not necessarily being put in the greatest position to succeed, and, and not that pro football focus is the end-all, be-all mark, but if you just take a look at his coverage grades throughout his career – they have not been as high as the other things that D'Amico Ryan's mentioned that he does on the field as far as blitzing, as far as playing the run, being able to play multiple positions, and that he's definitely the best version of himself in that free safety spot. But of course, you got Gibson, who maybe isn't able to play in the slot. You've got, as you mentioned, other corners that can't play those positions. Um, so I, I could also maybe see... Jimmy Ward, look, no one wants to admit their faults or their, you know, what they're not good at. But if you just take a look at what he has been able to do better um, than coverage, it's a lot of different things. So I'm certainly going to keep track of that and and how if it is more of a permanent thing, I don't believe it'll be. I think Jason Barrett is probably the, the key to all of this, and hopefully he can stay healthy when he does come back. He was a limited practice participant on Thursday. We'll see on Friday. Uh, D'Amico Ryan said he was progressing. Who knows if he'll be ready on Sunday. My guess is that they'll try and ramp him up to get him back after the bye week yeah. with some of those other guys that we're going to uh, to discuss. But it, it's interesting, Mark, for sure. And and will have an impact on the game one way or another. Oh, of course it will. I mean, I think that's one of the, in terms of everything beyond injuries, I think this is one of the more interesting kind of chess piece moves that the Niners can make in this game. I'm not exactly sure which one is the right move. I tend to side, um, you know, on on D'Amico Ryan's side. What, what he did last week against the Chiefs is, you know, just put your best players on the field. Maybe one of them feels a little out of position, but put your best players on the field right now. And it's pretty obvious, at least in my opinion, that your best players on the defensive secondary include Tayshawn Gibson, include Jimmy Ward and unfortunately do not include those youngsters, Lenore, Womack, and Thomas. So you put your best players out there and you deal with the consequences of those actions. It's probably the best decision for a Niners team that right now uh, has some questions in the defensive secondary. But as you mentioned, when they get a bit healthier, I, I think we'll see a more common and, and consistent lineup back there. No doubt. Make sure to download, rate, and subscribe to the 415ers podcast every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. I'm on social media at egettings10. Mark is on social at Mark Grandy, Mark of the C, Grandy with an I. Well, that takes us to our next conversation, Mark, and it unfortunately seems to be kind of a running theme throughout this season, but just the sheer amount of bodies, um, or pardon me, that uh, 
that the 49ers do and don't have. And, and maybe that affects part of me. I wasn't sure I was, I was playing off script part of me, Mark, and I did not do a good job of this. This is where we do want to go next. Um, and maybe actually that is appropriate considering I was, I was off script and I did not perform well because Kyle Shanahan <laughs> has been accused of that this season in multiple ways. Um, and one of the reasons perhaps being he mentioned yesterday in one of his, his weekly interviews, the fact that there's been kind of a, a recalibration period specifically with Jimmy Garoppolo. And when asked if, you know, that was sort of necessary because obviously Jimmy wasn't involved in training camp, wasn't involved in OTAs. Uh, Kyle Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan responded quote, Oh yeah. Like big time. I mean, it's not always about the play callers getting the credit. He, he did take, onus for the play calling being bad and deserving it but you know essentially saying the time where you get to recalibrate is in training camp and jimmy simply didn't have that so that's what he was doing in week two prior to the denver game which ironically turned out to be one of the worst offensive performances we've ever seen but i did think that that was interesting considering Jimmy Garoppolo has been a part of the system for a long time. And Jimmy even sort of hinted at it too, Mark, the fact that, look, you know, there's some new plays. It's taken me a while to get going. I don't know how much I do or don't believe that, but after two straight losses, and of course this last one against the Chiefs being one where you were manhandled, uh, I just, I thought his comments were, were kind of curious and I wasn't exactly sure why he mentioned that now as opposed to maybe earlier. Yeah, I think it is interesting. And I mean, he's, always I think pretty measured with what he says publicly I mean you know this was a public interview um, it wasn't at the you know in front of the Niners media down in in Santa Clara um, but it was a public interview for everyone to hear I think if it if he said this you know say week three after the Broncos loss everyone would have you know jumped on his case and said well this sounds like a terrible excuse uh, you know, this is a guy who's been your quarterback in years past. Like, why are you why are you coming out and saying this? Like, just just get it get it right. But um, now that it does make more sense, I guess. I mean, you, okay, you lose that game, then you you turn around, you beat the Rams. Like, I I to me, it would have made more sense if he had said it after the Denver game. Excuses or not, probably maybe maybe it would have made more sense. I do think Niner fans wouldn't have liked it as much at that point because just. If you could rewind and put yourself back in the mind of how 49er fans felt after that Denver game, oh my, it was just burn it all to the ground. Like, this is <laughs> the ugliest football game I've ever watched in my life. Um, I think it's interesting. I mean, I, I'm not sure. I, I think, you know, maybe in my opinion, where this affects the Niners most, maybe isn't necessarily the fact that the injury left the Niners unprepared for Jimmy Garoppolo. Cause I think they have so much of a, of a body of work to fall back on, but I think where it probably affected the 49ers the most is all the time that Kyle Shanahan and, you know, his offensive coaching staff spent with developing plays and an entire playbook for Trey Lance's abilities. And suddenly that's all out of the window. You still have everything that you've done for Jimmy Garoppolo in the past. And while maybe it's a little more rusty because You've kind of put that on the back burner, at least for the time being during that offseason when you're preparing for Trey Lance. You still kind of have it in your arsenal and and you know how to run it. And most of the players on your team who were here last year, who have been here through years in the past when Garoppolo was the quarterback, uh, they know kind of what to expect with that. I'm not so sure 
and you know, you know, Shanahan saying this and Jimmy Garoppolo admitting that there's, you know, kind of it takes some time to get it back. Sure, maybe there's a little rust, but I think where it affects the Niners more so is that Kyle Shanahan didn't have the ability to try to uh, continue to evolve and come up with new ideas for the Jimmy Garoppolo offense during the long offseason because instead he was doing that for the Trey Lance offense. You still have what you have had in the past, but maybe you don't quite have a normal progression from one year to the next of Kyle Shanahan within the set of plays that he specifically comes up with for Jimmy Garoppolo. Sure. And, and I know, look, Trey Lance only had a game and not even a quarter. Uh, but if, if the recalibration period was used to create a lot of gut runs and quarterback powers, <laughs> was not uh, <laughs> it's a little concerning. Now there were, I mean, I remember Kyle Juszczyk came on 95, seven, the game soon after, I think it was the week after yeah. the Trey Lance injury, the Niners yeah, he, seemed to... He, I'm pretty sure he dropped some game theory on you guys. <laughs> the, the Niners uh, seem to throw Kyle Juszczyk out to the Wolves whenever there's a, a gigantic story like that. Uh, but he said, uh, I think if you, you know, if, if Trey Lance was still healthy and played for a few more weeks, you were going to see kind of the development and something called off of those run plays. And it, you're, you're going to see it develop and you were going to see that Kyle Shanahan was setting up something else beyond that. I guess we'll have to wait to know that for sure, but it does seem like that was the plan. But I, I mean, I'll admit, I agree with you that the play calling for uh, Trey Lance's first start and a half this year was a uh, kind of odd, I think to put it lightly. Yeah. Look, there was a monsoon and maybe he was setting up stuff in the Seattle game to be able to air it out. We will never know, unfortunately, but what we do know and what we have gathered over some time with Kyle Shanahan this year is that when he is on script, he is a very effective play caller. And when he is able to set things up throughout his first, as he has described, first 24 plays of games, uh, he produces points. Like the 49ers are one of the better teams in the first quarter. They have gotten out to a lead in all but one game this season. And I think that that is credit for Kyle Shanahan. The issue is when he is quote unquote not on script and when he later in games as we've seen specifically in second halves and their three points I believe that they're averaging in the third quarter this year um, there has not seemed to be much of an adjustment offensively and that is an issue because when you're playing against top tier teams there are probably going to be times in which you are trailing probably going to be times in which you are involved in needing to go off script later in games and Mark, as as you kind of compiled and put together with, uh, you know, you saw on, on 538, like there is a, a sort of um, expected point average that tends to dip when Kyle Shanahan is not on script. Yeah, so this is from an article written by Josh Hermsmeyer on 538. As you mentioned, he compiled all the numbers um, generally Kyle Shanahan has, has stated in the past that he scripts somewhere around the first 24 plays of each game, um, which means going into the game, he has, you know, all of his play calls for the first 24 offensive plays lined up in the holster, ready to go. And there will be certain circumstances in which something will change that. Uh, but generally the first 24 plays of every game on offense, he has scripted out last year the team's EPA or expected points added, which is generally just an advanced metric to show how, how successful a certain play was, you know, a better play gives you a higher expected points added. A long play gives you that a third down conversion gives you that more so 
than just a third down. Uh, say, for example, let's say a three-yard gain on first down, not a very high expected points average, but a three-yard gain on a third and two, that's a higher expected points average because it just got you enough to move the chains and keep the drive alive. So it's an advanced metric that generally shows how effective a play was considering the circumstances of the game. Last year, the first 24 plays on offense for the 49ers actually had a negative expected points added, interestingly enough. But after that, the unscripted plays had a positive expected points added. Okay, what was the difference last year to this year? Some might point to Mike McDaniel. Some might point to, you know, injuries, whatever the case is. But let's look to this year. Scripted plays, by far a positive expected point uh, added for the 49ers. And then the unscripted plays, again, after the first 24 plays of the of offense for the 49ers this year, a negative expected points added. And the difference is difference in success rate overall for those plays, about a 9% difference. So maybe it's not big enough for you to really get up in arms about this, but it is interesting considering we're now seven games in. This is also based off a full season's worth of statistics from last year. And, you know, the math does tell you that the Niners, and you didn't need these numbers to tell you that. You can just look at, you know, kind of points per quarter. Really good in the first quarter, really bad, uh, especially in the the third quarter uh, of games this year and the second half specifically. Um, but the 49ers better early on those scripted plays than they are on the unscripted plays. What does that say about Kyle Shanahan? Does it mean he struggles to adjust? Does it mean that he has a hard time um, calling the right plays in the right moments in second halves of games? Um, I don't know. I I think some of that is on the table. Um, Maybe some of this will kind of get back to the mean as the season goes along, but it is interesting. And I think it's worth pointing out because it does back up the way a lot of 49er fans feel Kyle Shanahan and the Niners offense really good early, but they fall off late. And we saw that against the Kansas city chiefs. I mean, the Niners moved the ball so well in that first quarter, they were up 10, nothing early. They got a, uh, an interception defensively as well to help them out. And then they suddenly stopped scoring points for a, a large portion of that game. And it's kind of been the story of the season. So something to keep an eye on the success for the 49ers on scripted plays early and then after that, after the first 24 plays of the game or so. Yeah, and I also know that Kyle Shanahan has not necessarily taken credit for the positive play calls just because he's, I mean, he sort of diluted it, but he broke it down into all the different things that need to go right in order for a play to be successful. But he did take onus, again, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, for when things do not go well. Mm -hmm. So. At least he's it seems like he is aware of kind of the issues at hand um, being both the play caller as well as the play creator and the GM and everyone that's you know basically the person who's who is responsible for everything that happens on the field with his players as well as the plays. Um, I just think it's I do expect it to regress more to the mean and in this case in a positive fashion because of what you mentioned last year. But the, the fact still does remain, even when there was an expected point added uh, in his favor for non-scripted plays last year, there, there were still times in which, look, he, you know, he, he blew some leads, wasn't great in the second half. I know it hasn't been as lopsided as this season, and this year 
it, it's become clear through at least the first you know seven weeks that they they do need to play from ahead. Um, otherwise, they're going to have a very difficult time coming from behind with specifically Jimmy Garoppolo as their quarterback. But it, it it's something that I'm going to pay, pay be paying attention to, and something that like, I I don't know if you know the Rams they always seem to be kind of in this get right zone for the Niners, or at least have been the past couple of years in the regular season, I should say. But you know Kyle Shanahan can certainly look at last year's season finale and say, look, we were down 17 points and came from behind and on the road in SoFi Stadium and engineered one of the the greatest, you know, regular season comebacks of of his tenure here. Um, I know it's that's really the only one you can kind of point to, <laughs> but it it is something that he can hang his hat on, at least going into this game against the Rams is certainly a theme that that I'll be paying attention to. And um I know they've dominated them in, in recent years, but in the regular season, but you know, like th- this is a great opportunity, I think, for Kyle Shanahan to show that he can operate off script because if he can't do it against a team that he's clearly comfortable against, who's he going to do it against down the line? Yeah, that's a good question. And again, these numbers from uh, Josh Hermsmeyer on 538. Interestingly enough, you look back to 2019, the Niners, the year the Niners went to the Super Bowl and were kind of from start to finish the best team, at least in the NFC all season long. Uh, They had a negative EPA, again, expected points added in the scripted plays and a positive in the unscripted plays. So it kind of mirrored the the numbers from last year for the 49ers Mm -hmm. more so than this year. So I'm not exactly sure what that means and if it's better to have, uh, you know, the positive EPA in the unscripted plays because that's a longer portion of the game because it's generally the the do or die portions of games in fourth quarters where you're making adjustments or if it's better to get out to a lead potentially early and and then try to hang on. I'm not sure exactly what's best, but it is interesting that the two years the team went to the NFC title game and beyond, uh, they struggled early on those scripted plays, uh, but got better as the game went along. And that's not the case so far this year. That's probably what you need to be a successful football team. You got to be able to operate when things are not uh, aligned. Yeah. Well, I uh, do want to remind everyone, of course, this is the 415ers coming at you three times a week. Evan Giddings and Mark Grandy on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. Um, let, let's take this more towards towards the game on Sunday, Mark, because there's a lot looming over this game. There's a lot on the line for both teams, quite honestly. But the 49ers are dealing with with so many injuries, it seems, and ones at impactful positions. I mean, just going through the Injury report from this week. For those of you watching on YouTube, we have them up on our on our lower third banner. But Eric Armstead, another week. Uh, he did not practice on Thursday or Wednesday. He's dealing with a foot slash ankle. Drake Greenlaw, who was injured during the Kansas City game, did not practice Wednesday or Thursday. He has a calf. Looking at Jawan Jennings, who suffered a hamstring injury, didn't practice yesterday either. Kyle Juszczyk Kyle will miss this game, according to Kyle Shanahan against the Rams. He broke his finger against the Kansas City Chiefs. Debo Samuel, meanwhile, apparently was kind of hit with a hammy during the Chiefs game as well. He didn't practice on Thursday and was labeled as day-to-day. Um, good news for Trent Williams, who was rested on Wednesday, full participant on Thursday. Jason Verrett, as we mentioned earlier in the episode, was limited to practice. He may not play in this game, but appears to be on track to get back maybe after the bye. Samson Ebukam was limited to practice on Thursday. He has an Achilles. Like There's just so many different spots in which the four Niners are banged up. And even at sums that, uh, some positions in which they had healthy against the Rams, that could certainly impact this game. 
Yeah, I mean, Debo Samuel, of course, is the biggest name that I think people are going to, you know, latch on to. And it, I mean, I'm not trying to be, you know, a negative here, but it doesn't seem great that he's going to play. And that's just that's just my opinion. I know the Niners really want to win this game. Um, and it, it's against a team that Debo Samuel has had a ton of success in against the past. I mean, you look at his last handful of games, 115 receiving, 95 receiving yards, plus 45 on the ground. 97 receiving yards, 36 on the ground, 133 receiving yards. Those are just the last four games for Debo Samuel against the Rams. Uh, he's as good as it gets against this opponent. But considering it is a hamstring injury, that Debo Samuel has a history of these sorts of injuries, and given the fact that you have a bye coming up after this one, I am not 100% sure if it's worth the risk for the 49ers, and we will ultimately see, but it does not seem great in my opinion. Uh, but if you're without Debo Samuel, uh, you're without Kyle Juszczyk, uh, Ross Dwelly, the one of the uh, tight ends, is probably going to come in and, and play that fullback role. That's what he's done in the past when Kyle Juszczyk has, has gone down. Uh, it's hard to see this 49er run game being as effective as they would like to be. I know Christian McCaffrey is here, and he can do a lot of the things that Debo Samuel can do. It probably just means more touches for McCaffrey if Debo Samuel does miss, but you consider the fact that Yushek is also going to be out. You do get, you know, Trent Williams back again, which is good. Um, but it's, it's certainly casting a shadow, I think, on the 49ers' ability to run the game, uh, run the ball, excuse me. And then you also have Juwan Jennings potentially uh, missing. And then that throws a giant wrench into your plans in the passing game as well. He's been a, a favorite target of Jimmy Garoppolo on third downs. Of course, Debo Samuel, uh, as a wide receiver, we know what he can do as well. So, a lot of things up in the air right now as the Niners try to game plan for this game because they're just simply not sure who is even going to be out there and able to play. Yeah, and, and Debo is, as you mentioned, been a big part of their success against the Rams, obviously was the star on Monday night earlier on this season. But it, it's kind of interesting. Actually, he's he has played in all six of the last games against the Rams. That is by far the most that he's played against a division opponent. And I don't think it's a coincidence that they are <laughs> six and zero in those regular season games that he has played. Um, he's averaging just under 11 yards per target. Uh, he gets the ball quite a bit about six yard or six receptions per game. I should say 75 yards per game. Um, he has his highest catch percentage against the Rams. I know that people have, sort of malign Debo Samuel for some of the drops that he's had specifically last season when which he led the league this year. He also has had some drops as well, um, but he, for some reason, seems to play up to the Rams. And I know that Christian McCaffrey is an adrenaline boost in the greatest kind of way and kind of does similar things to Debo Samuel, but it, it is going to be impossible frankly, to replace him on offense and what he does and what he does specifically against the Rams. He has helped the 49ers in the regular season and, um, you know, in, in the conference championship to an extent, try and, and help this team put their best foot forward against a, a team that I, I believe Mark is in, at least the 49ers are in a must-win position this week against the Rams to get back to 500. Um, I think the, the 49ers need to win this game against Los Angeles on the road for a couple of reasons. One, obviously you want to get back to 500 and you want to get back into what will probably be first place in the NFC West based on the, the early returns on this division. <laughs> but I think also going into the bye week, 
you can't have two weeks where things are allowed to fester and where things that we've seen kind of creep into the locker room in the last two weeks. We've seen George, George Kittle be outspoken about the effort on this 49ers team. We see Jimmy Ward hint at him not being used properly this week. There are things that around Brandon Ayuk calling out the offense saying they need to score more than 23 points against the Chiefs with the amount of playmakers that they have. There are things that I'm sort of keeping an eye on that could permeate should they fall to three and five with two weeks of rest heading into then two weeks later against the Chargers, another great football team uh, that is currently above 500. Like there's a lot that could sort of happen in that bye week. So as much as they do need to get back to 500, I think it's more important to win this game to get the team back on track mentally more than physically. Yeah, no doubt. It's obviously a huge game. And I think uh, one of the big injuries, I know we, we kind of talk about it, but he's been out a while. I think we kind of forget how important uh, Eric Armstead is to this 49ers team. And I, and I want to focus on him here for a minute. If, if you think back to last year, Niners were in a similar position than they are now. They were three and five, had a game against the Rams coming up. And a lot of people like to point to, and they're obviously right in this, the Niners season changed last year when suddenly Debo Samuel started running the ball more. That was a huge change for the 49ers, specifically, of course, on the offensive side. But what also changed for the 49ers around that same time? After week seven and leading into week eight, of course, the Niners were three and five. So this change happened a week before the season kind of turned around. Eric Armstead was moved from the outside to the inside of the defensive line and basically served as the team's elite run stopper. You look at the numbers last year for the 49ers, weeks one through seven, again, with Armstead playing on the outside. The defense here is expected points added again. Niners run defense expected points added rank middle of the pack, 14th in the NFL. And the Niners have said over and over again, and this was pointed out by David Lombardi on The Athletic, the Niners have said you have to earn the right to rush the passer. How do you earn that right? By stopping the run, making your opponents throw the ball. The 49ers were not doing that the first seven weeks of last season. Again, middle of the pack against the run. Then they moved Eric Armstead into the middle of the defense, middle of the defensive line, and he essentially turned this into an elite run defense. Weeks eight through the NFC Championship game, the Niners, the best run defense in the NFL. And what did that translate into? More sacks, about three and a half per game, up from just over two per game prior to Armstead's move. Now you look at the Niners this season. Eric Armstead has played in three games, week one, week two, he missed week three, and then week four. That week four game was the dominant win over the Rams when you know, they won 24 to nine with Armstead, the Niners, based on that same metric, the eighth best run defense in the NFL, averaging four sacks per game. Again, you stop the run, you earn the right to rush the quarterback. And the Niners, when they stopped the run, were elite at rushing against the quarterback. But now without Eric Armstead, without your stalwart deep defender in the middle of the defensive line to stop the run, the Niners, the 24th ranked run defense. And this has been really, really a bad part of their defense recently. Think back to the Atlanta Falcons game who just ran all over the 49ers without Armstead. And with that 24, 24th ranked run defense, the Niners suddenly just about two and a half sacks per game, again, without Eric Armstead. So I think we're forgetting just how important he is and how much better the Niners were last year when they moved him from the outside 
to the inside. Now the Niners have him nowhere, obviously. He's out with an injury, and it seems unlikely that he will play this week against the Rams. But I think the 49ers, until they get Armstead back, they're going to struggle continually to stop the run. And what that means is they're not going to be able to get home to the quarterback nearly as often because they won't have as many chances because opposing teams are so uh, comfortable running the ball. So I think we overlook his importance sometimes. Obviously, we know he is an important piece, uh, but we also forget how big of an impact his change made for this 49er team last year. And uh, without him at all this year, the team is certainly struggling. And his absence is as big of a reason as any, I think, for the 49ers' struggles uh, recently, especially when you consider their abil- their inability to, to stop the run. No, that's a good point. And I think that Debo on offense as well as Armstead on or yeah, Debo on offense and Armstead on defense, kind of the 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 coinciding with the run that they won on. If you just look at the amount of yards that they gave up last year, they only gave up 90 or more yards in two regular season games beyond um beyond that, of course, Arizona Cardinals loss, where it puts them at put them at three and five. And both of those games were losses. Outside of that. They allowed 50, 54, 67, 85, 62. Um, they went nine and one. And of course, the last uh, loss was in the conference championship game to the Rams when they allowed 90 or fewer yards. Like they they were very good against the run. So I think that's an excellent point and something that we'll certainly pay attention to this week. Uh, if the Rams try and run the football, because each of the past two opponents have shown that maybe the Chiefs didn't do it as much because they got whatever they wanted through the air, but specifically the Falcons showed opponents that you can run on this Niners defense to your point without a guy like Eric Armstead. Yeah, I, I'm totally in agreement with you. And the Chiefs did have some success as well. Um, but yeah, not, not nearly as much. They were past first offense anyway, but there were still some opportunities for them in that run game. So the Niners desperately need Eric Armstead back on the defensive side of the ball. They could desperately use Debo Samuel against the Rams. I mean, I I think, you know, we're coming up here on predictions in, in a minute to wrap up the episode, Evan. Um, I think ultimately maybe the winner loss decision comes down to is Debo Samuel going to play because that's just how good and how dynamic he is uh, for this 49er team specifically against the Rams. I mean, we, we kind of briefly mentioned it a little bit ago, but even in what was relatively a down game, you know, week, uh, what was that week four against the Rams? He did have that one incredible touchdown catch and run for 50 yards or whatever it was, where he broke like seven tackles on the way to the end zone, ultimately six catches, 115 yards. But besides that one, just absolutely backbreaking, mind-bending catch and run, he wasn't all too effective and he only had two yards on the ground, Um, but he still just has a different level, it seems, uh, when he plays against the Rams. Uh, but his past games, I mean, 95 yards in the NFC Championship game through the air, 45 more on the ground, had a rushing touchdown. Very similar stat line in the last game of the regular season last year as well. 97 receiving yards, 36 yards on the ground. He is incredible against the Rams. And uh, I don't know, at this point, I still haven't even made up my mind on what I want to pick as the result of this game because I'm just going back and forth between if Debo Samuel is going to play or not. Well, I think the odds makers are kind of with you, Mark, because right now the Niners are one, are one and a half point favorites on the road. So the Rams are, are a home dog. Uh, the total is right now 42 and a half on most sites. And it'll be interesting to see how Debo, whether he plays or not, affects both of those lines. I'm I'm kind of with you. And I know that 
like I, I describe this game as a must win for the 49ers. Um, but that's also because I feel like their situation with the amount of bodies that they're missing Debo or not is, is pretty dire. And I know that they have had regular season dominance against the Rams. It's been a chance where they can get right in most of those spots and they have, especially last year, but, but something about this game and, and the way that things have been trending for the Niners I, I just I almost feel like they're going to be back to three and five heading into the bye this week. Um, if we're going to to do predictions, uh, also I do have to note I have been wrong and I believe each of the past three predictions. So hopefully, <laughs> me picking the Rams in this game will allow the 49ers to come back and win. Uh, but if I'm going to take a team, I think it would be a slight margin. I think the under continues to roll for the 49ers, even though it does, did not last week. I think it returns to the norm of what they've typically been doing. Um, I'm going to say that the Rams defeat the Niners 21 to 17 at home at SoFi Stadium. That would be my prediction. All right, 21 17. I have a slim margin as well. And in fact, I'll go out on a limb. I'll say this game's going to overtime. I just have a feeling wow. about this game down in SoFi. Uh, I'll say Niners 23, Rams 20. Uh, Robbie Gold hits a game winning field goal. The Niners walk off winners in SoFi 23 to 20. Uh, if you bet the under and this happens, I'm sorry because it was uh, it would have been sitting at 40 at the end of regulation. But because the the teams were tied, we had to get play an extra period. Uh, so beware there. Beware of overtime. Always under betters. But 23 20 is my prediction. Niners come out on top. Well, and if you want to bet on overtime, it's plus 950. So Ooh. if you're if you're with Mark, there might be a little juicy line for you. Maybe uh, maybe a sprinkle, parlay. I can sprinkle some there. You never know. Yeah, it is a payday Friday. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that will wrap up this uh, this episode and edition of the 415ers podcast. We appreciate you tuning in as always. If you have not, make sure to download, rate, and subscribe. Five stars are much appreciated by myself, Evan Giddings, on social at Giddings 10 And, of course, Mark Grandy is always on social at Mark Grandy. Mark with a C, Grandy with an I. Mark, thank you so much, sir. I look forward to talking to you on Monday. Sounds good. Look forward to it as well, Evan. All right. Enjoy the game, everyone. Hopefully the Niners can pull it out and hopefully they can head into the bye four and four. In the meantime, we will talk to you and enjoy the weekend.